Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Bible Church. My name is Jason Wheezy Poppy, and I am one of the associate pastors here. Now, some of my duties as associate pastor go across both campuses, so I'm here um, a little bit. Um, for me, I oversee children's ministry for both campuses and youth ministry for both campuses, and then adult ministries and budgets and facilities and all that good stuff over at Southwood. So I have a little bit on my plate, a few things going on, but I enjoy it, and we're, I'm so excited to be here. It was just about a year ago that my family and I moved back to College Station. We were here about 15 years ago as students. My wife and I met here. We came through Grace Bible Church, and so we're so thankful to be here and be back where we kind of grew up in our faith, and are so thankful for the ministry of this church and thankful to be back and to be a part of it. Now, the last time I preached, I was informed that all new pastors, when they preach for the first time, they're actually supposed to show pictures of their families. So trying to be wise and take a mild rebuke, I uh, want to show you. This is, this is the Wheezy Poppy family. Um, so on the far right, that's my wife, Jamie. We've been married for a little over 13 years. So it's been 13 wonderful years for me and about three or four for her. And... Um, Behind me is our son, Samuel. He's six. And right in front of me is our daughter, Annabeth. She's four. And in Jamie's lap is our youngest, uh, Ella Grace, who will be two in about two weeks. So that's us, and, and we're here. So it's exciting. Like I said, it's exciting to be here. We came from Dallas, where we lived for about the last 10 years. And we missed some things. And I'd say one of the things that I probably miss the most is I miss our house. We lived in a neighborhood that was built in the late 50s, early 60s, and this was exciting to me. We, when we bought the house, we bought it from the original homeowners. This house was built in 64, and they had thrown up some, a little bit of paint and put on a few extra layers of wallpaper over the years, but when we bought the house, it was brand new 1964 when, when we moved in. So as you can imagine, it needed a, just a little bit of updating, but this is something that excites me because I grew up in a family that that's what we did. We remodeled, we worked, we built, we did these things. And it was exciting for us. Uh, we, we believed that it was every man's right to walk into Home Depot and buy some power tool that he doesn't need with money that he doesn't have. <laughs> it's okay to be excited. Go ahead. And, and that's what it was. Some, some dads take their sons and they go fishing and they go hunting. My dad took me out to the workshop and we built cabinets and rocking chairs and, and things like this. So having a house where I could come in and remodel was exciting. Well, also at this point, it was easy too because Samuel was 18 months old and he was all that we had. So at that point, I still had energy and time (laughs) and the evening to do these things. But as all parents, as we know, as the kids start coming, well, the energy kind of starts to go a little bit. (laughs) That time starts to go a little bit. And I had to start doing the unthinkable. And that is I had to start contracting out some of this work. And it it killed me because I was now paying people to do work that I could do, work that I wanted to do, work that I enjoyed doing. But I realized that if I wanted to get any of these projects done, this side of my kids' high school graduation, I had to do this. It was the necessary evil. But that changed one day. One day I walked into the half bath of our house. We lived in a pier and beam house, not on a slab. And I walked into the bathroom and I put my foot through the floor. I realized that we had a very slow leak of water and it had rotted out the floor in our bathroom. But this this was actually good. It was actually exciting to me because 
I knew it was a half bath, so I could close the door off. And the kids didn't have to use it. This was a project that I could do. It was six by six. It was a small room. It had a sink. It had a toilet. All I had to do was tear out the floor, replace it, and then put tile on it. And as anybody knows, when you do remodel projects, your wife has all these ripped out magazine pages of these things that she wants and these ideas that she has. And Jamie had the perfect picture of the tile that would go in our house in various areas and various places as we began to replace it. And so I, I began to get excited. I was like, here's a project that I can do and, and I can tackle it and I'll, and I'll have this joy. And I, and I had this beautiful picture of what it was going to look like and, and the beautiful picture of how excited Jamie was going to be when she, she saw the beginning of her new tile entering the house. It was like Ralphie in a Christmas story as he had those wild dreams about his Red Ryder BB gun. I mean, it was that, that same sort of excitement. So I took Friday off. I figured three days. Three days, I can tear the floor out. I can replace it. Some of you are already laughing because you know where it's going to happen. I could put the tile down and it was going to, it's just going to be exciting. So I walk in, I had the sledgehammer in hand. And so I start crushing the floor, start beating out the rotted part. Okay. Well, it turns out that six by six is just, it's not really as big as you think it is. So as I'm going away and I'm trying to get at the floor, well, I go a little too far and I hit the wall. And so I take about a big chunk of sheetrock. And I'm like, that's okay. It's okay. You know what? I'll replace the sheetrock, tape, float it, texture it, paint it. Not a problem. Keep going. So I'm going and I'm going and I'm trying to get at weird angles. Boom. I hit the sheetrock again in the same place. So because now there's no sheetrock on this side, it knocks out the sheetrock on the other side of the wall. And I just couldn't believe it. Now not only did I need to replace this side, well now I had to go into the kitchen, remove the refrigerator, and patch the other side. And in frustration, not from here, about here, I threw the sledgehammer down. And at the last second, as I felt it leaving my hand, I realized where it was going. The toilet was right beside me. The sledgehammer hits the toilet, shatters the bowl. Now I have water running everywhere. Not thinking again, I go and grab the sledgehammer and throw it out of the toilet as if somehow this would stop the water. As it's now leaving my hand going behind me, it hits the mirror. (laughs) Falls from the mirror, hits the sink, crushes the sink and chips the cabinet. So now I'm sitting in the bathroom, floor still needs to be tore out, I've got water running out of the toilet, I've got water running out of one of the busted lines of the sink, I've got two places of torn sheetrock, a busted sink, chipped cabinet, busted mirror, and I sit down and I throw my head in my hands and I think, oh Lord, (laughs) I felt so defeated, (laughs) I felt so discouraged, I'm, I'm sitting there and I've got water spraying on me. And I had this beautiful picture of the way that I thought it was going to look. I had this this beautiful idea of the way that I thought that this was going to go, of what was going to happen, and and these great visions of Jamie walking in and, and loving bliss as she saw her new tile. And I thought, three days, I was going to be done. Three days, it was going to be completed. And what turned in, what I thought was going to be a weekend project, now turned into at least a month before I was going to get it done, minimum, probably several months. 
and I was crushed. I had this beautiful picture, and now it had changed. I think for those of us this morning who are Christians and have lived the Christian life long enough, we can begin to feel that way a little bit. When we became Christians, when we understood the, the saving grace, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we were excited. We, we, we were lost. We were dead to our sin. We were separated from God. But through Christ and his death and resurrection and our faith in him, our sins were forgiven and we were excited about the new Christian life in front of us. We had this great, beautiful picture of this glorious living with inside of the Christian life and what it was going to look like and how it was going to be. And if we've lived it long enough, we begin to understand what we thought would be a quick, easy weekend project of changing some of those things in our lives once we became a Christian. We now realize it's not that easy. And it takes a little bit longer. And we can feel like we're sitting there <laughs> with destruction going on all around us. The harder we try, the more we try to work at it, the more we try to do it, sometimes the harder it becomes. It was exciting that a couple of weeks ago, Pat Coyle was here and he shared a little bit of the bad news, good news with us. We all have the same problem, right? The problem is sin. And because of that sin, we're separated from God. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And because of his work, because of what he did, and our faith in him, we can be forgiven. And Joel Mathai came through and shared about the wonderful work of the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And once we're a believer, we're now dwelt with the Holy Spirit. And Blake Jennings came through and he, and he poured out a great picture of, well, what does it look like to live then in light of being a Christian? Well, today, this morning, I want to talk about something a little bit different. It goes along with it, but I want to discuss the question that we all have to face at some point in time, and that is, why is it so tough to obey? Why is it so hard to be the person that God wants me to be? Which I think is a turnaround for a lot of us, because I think a lot of us, when we initially became Christians, when we initially became believers, we thought that change... We thought that living and doing the things that God wanted us to be was going to be easy. It's going to be a three-day project. But if we've lived long enough, we began to understand that the things that we struggled with, our anger, our selfishness, our character traits, you know, greed, pride, those things, somehow that was a part of the way I was before as a Christian. So that's going to be easy, right? Well, most of us understand that it isn't. And we begin to think, wow, you know those things that I struggled with, those, those things that I dealt with over here before I became a Christian? A number of those things strikingly look like the things I'm struggling with and having a hard time with now. And so for some of us, we can become suspicious. We can become a little bit jaded towards the Christian life. We can begin to see that of our own efforts in trying to do things that it can make things harder. And we want to sit down and put our hands in our, over our head in frustration. Think, maybe I should just give up. Maybe I should just be done. But I want to give you a little bit of good news. And that's when we fall flat on our face. We don't have to walk away in shame. 
We don't have to avoid God. We don't have to avoid his word. We don't have to avoid worship. We don't have to avoid coming here to church and being amongst other believers. Because the beautiful story, the story of the gospel, the heart of the foundation which we stand on is that where we have failed, Jesus Christ succeeded. Where you and I fail, where you and I could not do it, where we could not make it on our own, Jesus Christ stepped in and he succeeded for us. So when Jesus looks at you, when God looks at you this morning, he doesn't look and he doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your mess ups. He looks at you and in what he sees is in place of your sin, he put his righteousness. If you have faith in Jesus and because of your faith and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. But in light of us being forgiven, in light of what we understand and what we know to be true, why is it that we still struggle? Why is it so hard to do the things that God asks us to do? What's going on? Well, if you would, let's look at Romans 7. And we're going to start in verse 7. And hopefully by looking at this, we can get a little bit and see what the root of the problem might be. And why is it that we struggle so? The Apostle Paul starts off and he says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? What a strange question. I mean, is Paul really asking, is the law of God something that God gave us? Is it sin? Well, in order for you and I to understand that a little bit, we kind of have to get a background of where Paul's come from in the book of Romans. We have to step back and look at about a 35,000 feet view and, and see what's been happening. You know, Paul starts off and he starts telling us about this wonderful creator God who made everything. He made the heavens and he made the earth. And he talks about a human race, a a people that, that rejected God. They turned from God. They put their hands and they said, no, no, thank you, God. We're going to do it on our own. We're going to do things of our own selves. In fact, we're even going to worship our own gods, the ones that we want to. We're going to do things our own way. And then Paul steps in and he says, okay, well, basically, every person I want you to understand, I want you to know that regardless of race, regardless of creed, regardless of who you are, whether you know it or not, you all have the same problem. And that problem is sin. And whether you know it or not, that sin has, is in your life and it has twisted, it's distorted, and ultimately, it's going to destroy your life. And then Paul wants to address a misconception. And that misconception is this, that religious people think that, you know what, if I have this law, if I have the law that God's given me, if I have this picture of, of what he wants me to look like and I understand that he wants to do, well, then I'll just aim towards the law. I'll just do the things that the law tells me to do. That's what I'm going to do. And then I can fix this sin problem I have in me. And I can get right with God. And, and I can be forgiven. And I can do things good enough so that when I die, the scales will tip in my favor. And I get to go to heaven, right? And Paul says, No. <laughs> You see, it doesn't work that way. And you and I, you know, we know this. We understand this. He says the law can't save you. You can only be saved by having faith in Jesus Christ. And I would say most of us here this morning understand that. If we've grown up in the church, we understand that. That's, that's the message of the gospel, right? We can't save ourselves. Nothing you can do can save you. 
Our salvation solely rests on the work of Jesus Christ. And so then that asks us, brings us to ask the same question that some of them are asking. And he says this. When he gets to verse 7, we step back and we kind of say, well, hey, wait, wait a second. If the law paints the picture of, of who it wants me to be, then, then it can't make things worse, right? Paul says, you know, the law, the picture of things that God wants you to understand and he wants you to be, well, it's good because it's from God. But it actually makes things harder. Well, if it's good and it's from God, then how can it make thing, things harder? Doesn't, doesn't that make it sinful? Well, that's the problem that Paul's addressing here. It says, am I suggesting the law is sinful? Well, of course not. The law is what showed me my sin. See, Paul knows that there are all kinds of people that are walking around. And whether they know it or not, sin is destroying them. A lot of them don't, don't even know that that's happening. That's what's going on. In fact, verse 7 goes on to say, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, may it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So he's just pulling an example, one of the Ten Commandments. Verse 8, but sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. Because apart from the law, sin was dead. I, I, I didn't know about it. So let me unpack this for you a little bit. You see, when the Bible talks about sin, it doesn't just talk, simply talk about sin as bad behavior. That's part of sin, but the Bible's understanding of sin, it's much bigger than that. In fact, sin is more than our bad behavior. It's more than just the bad things that we do. It's the heart inside of us that drives us to the bad behavior. Sin is viewed more like a disease. And then the symptom of that disease is the bad behaviors, the sins that we commit and do. That's the bigger biblical understanding of what sin is. And so what Paul is teaching here is that each one of us, whether we know it or not, struggles with sin. And it taints and it warps and it messes up everything that we do. Even the good things, even the love that we have, even if we have a little desire for God, sin takes it and it twists it. But what Paul is saying is he wants us to understand there's a lot of people out there that they don't even know this. They don't even know that this is what's going on in their lives. But the law of God, through the unveiling power of the Holy Spirit, reveals sin. And then something tricky happens, and I want you to understand it. You need to understand it if you're going to understand why it's so hard to obey. Why is it so tough? Why is it so hard to do the things that God asked me to do? And I'll use a little illustration like this. Let's say that you and I, we know absolutely nothing about nutrition. We don't know a single thing. So when you don't know anything about nutrition, what do you do? Well, you just eat whatever you want, right? All the cheeseburgers, all the pizza, all the fried bacon. Anything that's good, I'm going to eat it. Now, some of us do understand nutrition and we still eat that, but it's okay. Um, but we don't understand these things and we don't know anything about these things. So as far as we know, because we don't know anything about nutrition, we'll just eat. We're not concerned. We'll sit there. We'll eat cheeseburgers. We'll eat fried French fries. We'll eat fried butter. We can go to the state fair in Dallas and eat. find any fried thing you want. 
pretty much, and you just eat it and you consume it. But you can eat all that stuff and you don't feel guilty about it. And you don't have any health issues that have surfaced yet because you don't know anything. So you just go on and you just keep eating. However, the, really, the reality is, is that you and I, who know anything about nutrition, well, we know that way of eating, that way of doing things, it's making you unhealthy. <laughs> it is shortening your life, and eventually, it's going to kill you. See, the consequences, the reality, the impact of doing that, the way that it's going to happen, it's going to happen regardless if you know it or not. Regardless if you know anything about nutrition, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because the reality is still the same. Eating that way and doing those things will destroy your body. But then let's say you walk in, you go to a barbershop, or you go to that lady hairdresser place where ladies go to get their hair cut, and you you pick up the latest issue of Oprah Magazine, and you open it up, and you look inside, and lo and behold, the first section is on the law of nutrition. And for the first time, you read about the law of nutrition. And for the first time, you understand that what you're eating and what you're doing to your body, it is killing you. And now you know. And now all of a sudden you have information, you have the rules, you have the regulations. And you understand what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to achieve. And you decide, hey, now I'm going to go on a diet. And what happens? Well, if you've ever been on a diet, you understand what happens. Before you were on a diet, you didn't think about food. You just ate whatever you wanted to eat. It didn't matter. But once you go on a diet, food becomes all-consuming. You are typing on your keyboard at work, and you have hallucinations of cheeseburgers above your head. You go to sleep at night, and you have dreams about potato chips and seasoned curly fried and uncooked, freshly made chocolate chip cookie dough floating in your head. You start having all these things, and then all of a sudden... Now, your body, because the law is there and that you have drawn a line in the sand and you have information, your human heart, it uses that information and it arouses a whole new reality of desires within you that you didn't even know you had. And that's what Paul is saying that the law does. God says, here's the picture. But as soon as you see the picture, you begin to realize that not only am I a sinner and I'm doing the things that destroy me, But now I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a transgressor. I'm a lawbreaker. And knowing that begins to just heap consequences and condemnation upon us. That's what Paul's saying here. But look in verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came... Sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, why in the world would God do this? I mean, why wouldn't he just leave us alone? I mean, why wouldn't he just leave us in in, in, in ignorant bliss? 
I mean, why would God make things worse, make things harder by painting this picture of who he wanted us to be when he knew full well that inside of us, the sin inside us would take that picture and it would skew it and it would make it harder and it would heap condemnation upon us. Why in the world would God do that and then turn around and call the law good? Well, thankfully for us, Paul tells us. Look at verse 13. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? Well, of course not, because the law isn't the problem. May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, by affecting my death through that which is good. Why? So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Now, this is extremely important to understand because I think there's a lot of people, even a lot of Christian people out there that think that they look at Christianity and they view it like Christianity is a lot like most any other religion, right? That we have all these things, we do all these things. Uh, The only difference is that we kind of follow this person called Jesus Christ. But, you know, we believe in Jesus Christ, we're saved, and then we just work really hard on our own efforts to get things done. That's what a lot of people think. The Bible says, you know, we, uh, you know, part of the fruit of the Spirit is I should be more loving, so I'm, I'm going to be more loving today. I, sh- I should have peace, so I'm going to try to be a peaceful person. I should have joy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be joyful. And I'm going to do these things, and this is how a lot of people live their lives. Believe in Jesus, and then work on my own efforts, through my own way, through my own will, to be what he wants me to become. I want to live in my own strength to try to obey. Well, that would be great. Well, but there's a problem with it. The problem is called the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that because that's not the purpose of the law. In fact, Paul said if you use the law that way, if you're trying to make it your aim, if you're trying to make it your target, if you're trying to make it your goal, if you're trying to make that, that that's what I'm going to be and that's what I'm going to aim for and that's what I'm going to try to do, it's actually going to make things worse. It's actually going to make things harder. But here's what Paul says. He says the law is good. Why does he say it is good? Because we needed the law to show us how utterly terrible sin is. How deeply awful sin was. The law, the picture, the rules and regulations, the, the picture of who we were supposed to be, it's not a target. It's not what we aim for. It's really a mirror. It's a light. It's like a surgical light on an operating table that, that reveals every mark, every cancerous spot, every tumor that the doctor is supposed to remove from our bodies. You go to the law and you read it and you think, oh my, I have fallen so short. I now get it. I, I may try to do these things and be, these, and be this way and I may make a little bit of movement, but it can't change my desires. It can't change my heart. It can't make me obey. It can't make me do the things that God wants me to do, who God wants me to be. And the problem that we face is threefold. Because the instant that we believe, we begin to battle three powers. The first one we know is the world. The Greek word used in the New Testament of this is the cosmos. 
The first way that it uses, the first way that it talks about it, one of the ways is it's the planet Earth. It's actually the physical planet. It's referred to in Acts 17. The second way that it talks about it is it talks about humankind, the human world. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world. But what we're getting at here, the struggle that we're talking about here, is human culture as influenced by Satan. The world, it represents a system of values and priorities and beliefs that unbelievers hold that exclude God. And it's a moral and spiritual system designed to draw people away from God. And they use it and they take it and it appeals to all people, believers and unbelievers, to pull us away from God and to point us towards sin. This is probably most revealed to us in 1 John 2, 15-17, when it says this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The second struggle we have is the devil, our adversary. The Bible tells us that there are mortal creatures, angels, beings of incredible power, of incredible intelligence. And at some point long ago, a portion, a part of them chose to rebel against God. And in that rebellion... They became fallen, and they are now referred to as demons. And in that fall, they were led by Satan. And because their rebellion against God was unsuccessful, because it failed, they are now bent on destroying God's earthly people, us, you and me. And Satan, whose very name means adversary, seeks to destroy us by leading us away from God. And into sin. The third is the flesh. Now, in the Greek, when the Bible when it talks about flesh, one way that it refers to it is the mortal physical body. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15. The second way that it talks about it, and what we're getting at here, and what Paul's talking about in Romans 7, is that inherent desire and that disposition towards sin that is present in all of us, in all human beings, including believers. The flesh is who I am when I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit that's within me. The first two are external pressures, external things that are on us. The first, the last one, the third one, the flesh, is what we refer to as the traitor within and the struggle that we have inside. And before our conversion, we were unaware, as Paul tells us, of the destructive influences of these things around us and inside of us that were happening. And we unknowingly followed their every lead. But when we became believers, when we became Christians, and we belonged to Jesus Christ, we're no longer enslaved to any of these things. But yet all three of them still exert great effort, great energy, upon us to lead us away from God and to point us towards sin. And because of these things, 
I can't change myself into the person that I want to be. I can't do it on my own. I can't change myself into a loving person. Maybe I can do some loving things. But how do I become a real person of love? The real person of love that God wants me to be. Somebody who who loves unconditionally. Who loves sacrificially. I can say peace, peace, peace all day long. But how do I know real peace? Joy. You know, I can choose to be a happy person today. But how long does that last? I mean, I need real joy. See, the purpose of the law was not to give us a target. It was not to give something for us to aim at. It was meant to drop us on our knees. It's not a target. In fact, you and I, we need to aim at something else entirely different. And we're going to talk about that in just a second because the text tells us what that is and it takes us there. Now here's a warning to you and me. If you and I are living like religious people, if we're trying to live the religious life, if we're trying to say, I will believe in Jesus, and then I will do religion, and I will just be a law keeper, I I will do the the, the best that I can, then we're going to face trouble. We're going to face struggle. According to the Apostle Paul, look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. Sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing that I hate. Paul is a Christian. He he desires to be who God wants him to be. He desires to follow God. He desires to obey God. He wants to do these things. He loves God, but he understands that he can't do it on his own. Look at verse 16. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. But it is the sin that dwells in me. So as long as you make that your target, as long as you make religious living the way that you want to go, as long as you want to aim towards the law and try to do it on yourself, you can't get there. You can't get there. You don't have it in you to get all the way there because we struggle. We have the flesh. We have these external things of the world and the devil that are influencing us and and exerting great effort to move us away from God and into sin. But in verse 21, Paul says this, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. 
wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now, I want you to imagine Paul's testimony right now. Paul is a, a man who loves God. He wants to do what God is asking of him. He wants to be who God wants him to be because he loves God. And he's trying to do these things. I mean, he just expressed that in beautiful, beautiful language. But it's not working for him. It doesn't work. Why? Well, he tells us because the sin living inside of me and the laws, the rules, the regulations, they don't have the power to change me. They don't have the power to make me obey. They don't have the power to make me follow who God is or wants me to be. And because you and I have sin still living in us, we continue to struggle with the flesh and then the external pressures, the external efforts of the devil and the world. And following the rules and the regulations are meaningless because in the same way they couldn't change Paul, well, they can't change you and me. Well, the great thing is, is now Paul is going to give us the solution. After this, we have three more weeks. And you have three great guys that are going to come and they're going to share with you about victory in the Christian life. Through the Spirit. Through the Word. Through the church, the community of believers. But what I want to point us to first is the solution that Paul first gives us. The thing that Paul tells us. Look with me in verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Where does Paul tell them the solution is? Where does Paul take them? Well, Paul takes them to the only place that he can take them. He takes them to the cross. The cross is the target. The cross is the target for you and for me. You want to love God? You want to become more like Jesus? Then stop looking at the law, the rules, and the regulations. Stop living the Christian life like it's a, bunch, like it's a long checklist of things to do. And start looking at the cross. And when you fall on your face, when you fall flat, when you fail in the Christian life, Stop saying, I can, I will. God, this time, I'm going to do harder. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try even more. I I know I said that last time, but, but this time, I really mean it. Stop saying those things. Instead, look at the cross and say, God, I need you. God, help me. God, I know I can't do it on my own, and I need you and begin to move towards the cross and through prayer and through humility and through studying the scriptures and reading the scriptures and participating in the community of believers live life moment by moment trusting in him trust in the one who saved you the one who brought you to this point is the one who will complete your faith The cross, the cross, the cross. And the irony is, the more we focus on the cross, the more that we move towards the cross, and the more your life becomes a life that is led by the Holy Spirit on bended knee, asking for help, 
in humility, lo and behold, change. It's where real change happens. That's where real change takes place, and life begins to reflect Christ more and more. You know, many people, many Christian people, well-intentioned people, throughout church history have misunderstood this principle. They thought the Christian life was very simple. It was going to be a weekend project, right? It was going to be simple. It was going to be easy. Change would come that way. You know, I would believe in Jesus, and I'd ask him to forgive me so that when I die, I can get into heaven, and then I'll do the best I can on my own to live the Christian life until that point. But to live the Christian life and become who God wants you to be, it's not, I can, I will, I'll do my best. It's on our knees, in humility, looking at the cross, saying, God, help me. God, help me. That's the target. How many times do you go throughout the day and you make that your prayer? God, help me. How many times do you go throughout your day and look through this, to the very solution that Paul gave us? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And may God give us the strength to depend on him in every aspect, in every area of our life, every moment of every day. Please pray with me. Father, we give you great praise as we understand that you are the author and the creator of all things. You're the one who's the giver of life. You're the one who sent your son to save us. You're the one with the son who sent forth the spirit to indwell us. Lord, if I'm to be honest, I have to confess that in and of myself, on a daily basis, I'm trying to live the Christian life of my own strength and of my own power. I, I, I can tell it because I can look at my own prayer life and see it. Prayer means that I have to come to you. It means I have to admit that I can't do it on my own and that I need you. I need something to help me to do it and to make it and to live this Christian life. And that's hard for me. Because I, I want to think that I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And, and that I, I can do this thing on my own. If, if I can just try hard enough. If I, can, if I can just get a grip on what I want to get a grip on. That, that I think I, that I can do it. But the reality is. <laughs> the sin that dwells within me. Pulls me away. The struggle with the flesh. To fall to those outside great efforts of the devil and the world to pull me away from you and into sin. Lord, give me the strength. I need you. I need your help. And Lord, through this, please change me. Please allow us to become who you want us to be in this world at this time. Relying on you in every moment of every day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Empowered by the Spirit. Amen. Thank you all so much. Have a great rest of your Sunday. And we look forward to seeing you here next week.